you for leaving reviews and following A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine on all podcast streaming platforms, making it the number one go-to podcast for Black creative, marketing, PR, and tech professionals. Season six of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine podcast is fueled by Jet. And for our 100th episode, we're chatting with Dalen Gall, president of Jet. Huge thanks to Jet for being an inspiration to podcasters such as myself and amplifying Black voices and narratives since 1951. Well, now that we've shared a dose of Black joy with you, let's turn things up a notch on today's episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. It's, you know, in due time. So, I mean, listen, if you're good to go, I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm good, bro. All right. Well, let's dive into it then. Welcome one and all to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. This is season six. And, um, you know, just to kind of give people a little bit of history for those of you that are listening to us for season five, it was amazing because we were able to curate a conversation with uh, Black women. And so, like, you know, they really led um, a certain narrative. And this this season, uh, we have uh, Black men. And the reason why I thought that it was important is because so often I think that there are uh, slight nuances of navigating through culture as well as society um, in general as someone that is Black. Um, also, too, just in, you know, in general, um, different conversations that we could be a bit more transparent in having. So I like to say with this season or uh, in last season is kind of like uh, the Erica Badu song intro to Call Tyrone, where, you know, she's like, sisters, how y'all feel? Brothers, y'all all right? <laughs> you know, kind of diving into that. But on today's show, we have an executive that I have long admired. Um, when I think about how people move in this industry, I think that this is one of the respectfully silent uh, killers that um, has had his handprints on so many different things. So today we have on the show, Stanley Lumex. Stan, welcome to a Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Um, in my father's native language of Ewe, I want to say Akbeth. In my mother's native language of Ghana, I want to say Oyuradon. Oh, man. <laughs> this is going to be a real Ghanaian podcast, brother. Look at that. Look at that right there. So listen, if you don't speak tree, make sure you get out the conversation. But for those of you that are listening, um, Stanley. Yes, God, I don't speak tree either. I speak gun. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. 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 So that's that. <laughs> and for those of you that are listening, Stanley is currently the executive brand director at J.P. Morgan Chase. You know, speaking of parents that are from Ghana, my parents actually made me get um, a Chase account when I was 12 years old. And I'll tell you, interestingly enough, it wasn't even Chase at the time. It was like Washington Mutual. So I think that right then and there, we'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, but that $12 uh, really uh, showed me the importance of banking at an early age. That's awesome, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely. Sure you you, uh, you invested it properly and your, your $12 is returned its investment. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, 100 Pokemon cards later. <laughs> and there at Chase, he currently manages um, 
different portfolios, um, you know, um, that currently exist. But prior to that, you know, his role, um, he partnered with Complex Media Networks to create Climate, an agency built to help brands harness the power of youth culture. And I know that you have been um, always at the forefront of youth culture and also, I think, emerging talent within the field of creativity, um, as well as, um, you know, agency, um, advertising agency. I'm not sure you may know of a close mutual friend, Craig Mitchell, uh, at Translation, but Craig has always spoke so highly of you. And my question to you is, who are some of the early mentors in your career that really kind of fostered your creativity and what you wanted to do? That's a great question. And, um, you know, for me, mentorship has always been a big part of who I am. Um, so I, I definitely pay homage to those that that brought me along. And, you know, I'll start with, I want to say Tom Gruller. Um, early in my career, I worked, you know, I'm going to go even further back than that. Um, go back. Let's go back. My, so my first job in advertising was at a place called Chisholm Mingo Group. Um, mm -hmm. A man named Sam Chisholm started a ad agency that was built on multicultural um, business, you know, worked on KFC. I think they started, they came up with we do chicken right, you know, slogan or whatever the case may be. And um, that was literally like my, I graduated college from Temple University and my first job out of school was at a law firm called Davis Polk and Wardwell, which is crazy because it's on 50, 50, 45th and Lex. And, you know, now that I work at Chase, I'm on 45th and Lex again. So, you know, I, I almost swore that I would never come to Midtown again, but here I am. Mm. Uh, but anyway, working at Chisholm Mingo, I worked for a woman named Robin West and Anne-Marie Gothard. And uh, they were my first experience in advertising, marketing, and public relations. And they really held me down. So, you know, I would definitely consider them my first mentors. From there, I went to... Don Coleman Advertising, which became Global Hue. A man named Tom Gruler hired me as the first account executive in the New York office. So, I mean, literally, I was the only person in the building for a long time. We worked yeah. we worked out of the, the time it was called Bozell, um, and we worked out of their offices um, on 23rd and, what was it, 23rd, between 5th and 6th. Um, funny enough, that office end, ended up becoming complex, which, mm. you know, I've had a, a relationship with as well. Um, so Tom Gruler was definitely, you know, the first time I saw an ad guy, like a Rolex wearing, you know, like yeah. Rolex Mariner wearing suit, nice suit, hustler that sold the hell out of work, won big pitches, and really just kind of set the tone in terms of you know, what an account guy looked like for me. Um, and right after him, he hired a guy named Gabriel Heredia, who became sort of like the big brother, um, mentor, like we're still super close to this day. Um, like I'm even mentoring his sons. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I even hired his, his niece. Oh, wow. Worked, yeah, I hired his niece who worked with me at Translation. Augustina. Augustina is like my little sister. Um, so again, mentorship is super important to me. And I think it's, you know, really important to find people that, um, you know, you can literally 
pass along what you've learned. I mean, Gabe taught me this idea of as an account person, you should always have a game plan and your clients should always know what that game plan is. So that's something that I've passed down to every account person, honestly, not even just account people, even to this day, whoever works for me, we always talk about what's the game plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing it. And what I really appreciate about that, and even the reason why I started this podcast is because, you know, I look at so many people in this industry as uh, cultural historians. And I love the fact that you did mention Global Hue um, translation. I feel like there was a pivotal time within advertising that Black owned um, and also operated agencies were really, really taking off. And I would love to know your thoughts between that transition of maybe that narrative not being so prominent as it once was. Yeah, I think a big part of it, um, when you think back in those days, a lot of the the business that was generated was, um, and I'll speak specifically to Chisamingo. I remember Chisamingo was literally getting business because, you know, Denny's would call somebody the N-word or, you know, Target would do something you know, out of, out of character and they would need help. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there weren't any experts, um, you know, around. And I think that created a, a business opportunity for, for a lot of, you know, uh, smaller minority owned agencies. Um, and that's, that's how they, you know, would get work. Um, and it obviously would be a smaller, you know, percentage of the overall budget. And I think what happened, honestly, and it's interesting because I I, I was at uh, between Chisholm and, and Don Coleman at a time where you started hearing the term urban. Yeah. You know, like ur- urban is probably what, you know, I don't know, the culture used to be, right? Like everyone used to refer to things as urban and you immediately knew what they were talking about. Um, mm. so a lot of the, you know, bigger general market, as they would call them, agencies partnered with smaller um, minority owned agencies. Um, you know, a lot of the holding companies, you know, bought, you know, minority stake in a lot of the the smaller agencies as well, uh, just so that piece of business, you know, that portion of business, even though it was a lot smaller than what the general market agencies got was not lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I think it just got to a point where, you know, as as time evolved, and surprisingly enough, hip hop became mainstream. The shift went from, oh, I need to have, you know, a expert in black culture to I just need to have an expert in youth culture. Mm-hmm. You know, youth culture became sort of the the priority. Um, so a lot of that that budget shifted from, you know, sort of minority agencies to, we need experts in youth because it's less about demographics and, or it's less about ethnicity and more about mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, you know, at least, you know, I feel like your mindset is so diverse, which is, I think that's what gives you the capability to be able to really manage the multiple clients and brands that you have worked on. I mean, Stan Stanley has really touched Converse, National Basketball Association, JBL, Mountain Dew, Beats by Dre, so many different um, that really have been impacted by culture. You know, most recently I've been reading a mutual friend, I'm sure, but Marcus Collins' book for the culture. And to that standpoint, it's really making me 
realize all the things that are missing in culture. If you had to give a dose of anything for the culture and to the culture, what would you like to give the culture a dose of? Wow, that's, that's such a good question. Um, I think right now, I love the fact that, and I'm sure you can relate to this, the, the prominence of African culture in the culture is, is something I'm super proud of. Um, you know, I was just talking to someone over the weekend and I think for a lot of us, you know, I'm 45 um, and I definitely came up in a time where um, being African, being, you know, from the continent was, was, was a struggle. You know what I mean? Like you were made fun of, um, no one understood your food, your language, your style of dress, all of those things were were problematic. Um, so to be in a place where, you know, I see the evolution of music, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I see people like you, Bose, Kofi, um, just to name a few, you know, Abiola, TJ, Pops, you know. Shout Yvonne, out to Lovey. Lovey, you know, um, my guy Jabril, like there's just so many that I can name, you know what I mean? Justina is now the head of Beyonce's company. So like to see all of us growing and doing these amazing things um, and actually making a real big impact on the culture in, in a variety of ways on the from the business side, as well as, you know, we're continuing to drive it from a entertainment standpoint, you know, you can't help but to be proud. Um, but I, you know, I take it a step further because, you know, I grew up, you know, again, fighting against the, you know, the challenges of, of being a, a young African kid in, in a new community. And funny enough, hip hop is what actually helped me in terms of finding my identity. You know, I grew up with the Jungle Brothers and Public Enemy and, you know, the best rapper alive, KRS-One, Boogie Down Production, like they really you know, gave me the tools I needed to not only embrace who I was as a black man, um, but also to dig deeper in terms of my my culture and my roots. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of hip hop, if you were stranded on top of Mars and you were only allowed the discography of five hip hop artists to take with you on Mars, which five hip hop artists would you like to take the entire discography of? I literally answer this question to myself every day. So let's hear it then. Let's go then. Easy one. Karis One slash Boogie Down Productions. Okay. Big Daddy Kane. Eric B and Rakim. You moving fast. You moving fast here. What? Okay, that's three. Biggie. Big bag. Nice. And Jay Z. That's heavy. Nas, Nas is a close, you know, like any given day I might change, you know, Jay, Jay out for Nas, but like that, those are the ones right there. And I honestly, like my, the top three won't move, you yeah. know, Big Daddy can't carry us one. Uh, those are like the, you know, for me, those are the, the, the foundation. I love it. You all heard it here first. I mean, you know, this is Black Music Month. So, I mean, I think to revisit any of those artists would be great, but I don't blame you. You know, one I'm, thing I'm willing to to debate anybody. <laughs> he wants to smoke. Like, seriously, like I, I hear all these bull. Can I, I'm not even going to curse, but I hear all these lists. No, you can't let it fly. I always say anytime <laughs> I can put an E on the episodes, the ratings go up. So go, go ahead. Knock yourself out. <laughs> 
I hear I hear all these lists and I'm like, you know, I, I get it. It's different generations. And a lot of time it's just done for clout. But like, come on, man. Like I, I'm I'm ready to put ready to put my list up against anybody's list. Nice. All right. Well, you all heard it here first. Then with, with that being said, I'm not even going to mention mine because, uh, yeah, you know, this will be a whole different conversation. Yeah, it'll go. It'll go somewhere else. So let's let's keep it going. Um, so, you know, one thing I've always admired about you and I, 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 I tend to gravitate towards people that I feel like are in their own zone and lane. And I think that is so admirable, all of the things that you have been able to do and accomplish before our listeners listening at home. I would love to know, have you ever been at like any crossroads or conflicts with like pursuing your career and also your personal endeavors. Um, for those of you listening, uh, Stanley also is uh, the owner as well as founder of uh, African Chop House, which is basically um, a platform to celebrate African culture uh, through food. And so with so many of the listeners, I'm sure that they're busting it out through the nine to five, but with you, of course, working the nine to five, still being able to do things from um, you know the network that you created and also being able to run uh, the restaurant, what conflicts have you kind of faced that you've overcome? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say conflicts between my my personal, you know, my my personal things and and my sort of business or 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 work career things. Um, but the the con the question about conflict is one that I, I definitely have heart for. Mm. Um, and you know, honestly, most recently, before I got you know the job at Chase. I had, um, I was at, you know, as you mentioned, I, I started a creative agency with Cli with Complex called Climate. And, um, you know, they were bought by BuzzFeed. And I didn't sign up for that. I didn't want to work for BuzzFeed. So immediately I started looking for another job. And, um, you know, coincidentally, I was, I was given the opportunity to get into gaming, to work for a gaming company. And while I wasn't necessarily a big gamer and, and it's not, let me even take it a step further because gaming is, is one thing. It was esports, right? And esports is a whole nother level of, of gaming, I would say. And those that know, know. Um, and I quickly realized it just wasn't for me. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, like first and foremost, be, be before my career, before sort of all the accolades and whatnot that we look for as, ambitious individuals I want to feed my family like that's first and foremost like I you know I take that more seriously than any award or any you know accolades that that I'm given I want to make sure that like there's food on the table and a roof over our head and my kids are happy mm -hmm. and you know I found myself in a in a really dark place because I wasn't happy at the the job um and you know, again, we're surrounded by a bunch of overachievers, right? Like individuals that are doing the most, you know what I mean? Like Bose is the <laughs> big sister. Bose is my, the big sister. So like, she's always killing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm surrounded by a ton of those type of people. So like, when you're in a position where you're not necessarily happy with what you're doing, um, you know, it's, it's magnified, you know yeah. what I mean? You're like, what is it that I'm doing wrong that puts me in a position where all of these amazing people around me have it figured out and I'm struggling or I'm, I'm, I'm not doing what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, 
So amazingly, like that was actually a breakthrough for me, right? Like I um, left the company and I remember literally the day I left, like laying on my bed and looking at the ceiling. And this is going to sound crazy, but like these three words just kept coming, you know, across my face. Like um, I just kept thinking about these three words, passion, patience, and peace. And I realized that for me, you know, I'm yeah. not a guy that chases money, right? Like as much as I want to feed my family, I'm driven by passion more than anything. Like I have to enjoy what I do, which is why for, you know, a majority of my career, I've worked in basketball because I love, you know, the sport. I love the culture of it. Um, so passion was something that was really important. Um, and this past summer taught me patience. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to run into another job because honestly, after COVID, you know, I found it hard to find something that I was, you know, willing to commit to. Um, so this summer really taught me, you know, passion. Yeah. I'm sorry, not passion, but patience. Um, just really not just taking a job for the sake of taking a job, but, um, you know, waiting for the right thing. Um, and peace, right? Like, so, Peace was just something that I realized that you take it for granted until it's not there. When you don't have it, then all of a sudden you realize how important it is to have it in your life. And during this during this time, you know, I'd be having conversations with good friends and you know how it is. Like you call your friend and, you know, you start with how you're doing and usually, oh, I'm fine. I'm cool, whatever. But I was at such a point where I was just like, I can't even... I can't even lie and say I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I remember having, I won't even put his name out here, even though I'm sure he's, he's fine with it. But like, you know, I had a conversation with one of my really close friends and I'm like, bro, I'm sad. And he was like, bro, I'm sad too. <laughs> yeah, we don't say, yeah, I just actually, I just got off the phone with a friend of mine, like the similar conversation, but yeah. And we, you know, we had this long, really, you know, intense conversation about like meaning, you know, um, just kind of like what we were doing in our careers. He had a amazing career um, and it just wasn't fulfilling him. Um, and, you know, we it, what it made me realize is there's so many of us that are, are going through um, these things and we're not having these realistic conversations in terms of what what motivates us, what you know, what, what our challenges are and things of that nature. And again, going back to patience, you know, I get a call from, um, from Chase out of all places. And I'll be honest, I was, I was the last person in the world thinking about working in finance. Um, yeah. and it ended up being, you know, the best thing that, you know, could have happened to me. And I'm in a position where, you know, I'm working on, you know, amazing pieces of business, you know, I'm learning. I think that's probably the thing that's the most awesome is I'm, I'm actually learning again, right? Like mm -hmm. I've been in yeah. entertainment and sports for so long that I could almost do it with my eyes closed where now I'm in a position where I got to wake up every day and be on my A game because there's people that have been in this industry for, for decades and, you know, I'm literally fresh in. So, uh, um, that became, you know, obviously something I, I was really excited about and really just kind of reinvigorated me in terms of, um, wow, like here I am working for, you know, world-class organization, but somehow, some way, 
you know, I'm still being able to touch the things that I'm passionate about. I'm still being able to work, you know, on sports, on an NBA campaign with Kevin Hart and Allen Iverson and, you know, Steph Curry, or, you know, work on Sapphire with, you know, Michael B. Jordan. So there's, there's still huge opportunities for me to do the things that excite me. Um, and, you know, that has really helped me find peace again. Yeah, I love that. So I guess through that too, I mean, just speaking of passion, where does your passion currently stand for photography? Is it still where it once was? Yeah, I mean, photography is is definitely, you know, something that will will never leave me. I mean, it's funny because um, if you knew me at a certain point in life. Well, that's when I knew you. <laughs> but it, it's funny because like in a certain point in my life, people knew me more for my side hustle of photography than in advertising. You know what I mean? And then, you know, now people are like, oh, you're the, you're a marketing guy. And, you know, someone will say, oh, I remember him when he was a photographer. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's just interesting that things have shifted like that. And then, you know, back then I always carried a big camera as well. Whereas now, you know, I'm usually just using my iPhone. So I still shoot, I just don't carry a big camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that I've always treasured. You know, I actually just started using a, a point and shoot again just to, you know, switch it up from the iPhone. But like capturing moments is just a part of who I am. And, you know, it, it's almost something that, you know, even in this world where everyone's on their iPhone, I cherish being able to capture memories in a way that I think friends you know, transcend is the, the typical sort of, you know, iPhone, you know, photography approach, uh, just because it's it's always just been something that I've been super passionate about. It started with, you know, when I was at Wyden, Wyden gave me a great opportunity in terms of not only was I an account guy there, but they let me shoot my first Nike campaign. So, wow. you know, imagine being a, a, a photographer and you know, literally being given the green light to go around New York City shooting, you know, basketball tournaments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And the reason why I bring it up is because so often I think there's this thing of people that want to find passion projects or new passion projects without realizing our passion projects are sometimes um, um, an evolution of, um, you know, projects and passion th things that we were passionate about to begin with. Um, even this podcast in itself, I started this on the telephone with like blog talk radio. You know, I used to tell people to call in. And so now it's like people saying, oh, well, a dude's a podcaster. I'm like, well, I, I kind of been podcasting before then. And that's just me still running my mouth. I've always been loud in a room. <laughs> but, you know, I think that that is um, definitely important. So listen, on a dose of black joy and caffeine, we like to keep things joyful. What was the last great vacation that you went on? We love to talk about vacation on this podcast because 99% of people listening to it probably don't take their vacation days. But what's the last vacation that you went on? Wow. Um, last year around this time, I was in Ghana. Oh, nice. I went, I went to Ghana for a friend's wedding. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's what did it. <laughs> What about now? Can you hear me now? 
Yes, yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. No worries. You almost hit me with the Teddy Riley there, I call it. We all have our moment there. But uh, so you went to Ghana. Yeah, I was, I was in Ghana and um, it was amazing. You know, I went and beyond just, you know, going to the wedding, which was amazing. You know, I've gotten into a little routine in terms of going back to Ghana, which I actually am super excited about, right? So my, for the, you know, the people who've been or or know the area, um, I usually stay in the area called Osu. Mm-hmm. I was, was in an area in Accra. And I stay there because my mother's father, my grandfather has a compound there, you know, and, you know, most of my, my family still lives there. So, um, I usually get an Airbnb walking distance from there. That way, you know, I still have my privacy, but I can still get a, a good meal. Um, and, and then there's Republic Bar. So there's like, that's that's kind of like the triangle in terms of finding my go-to bar. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I can go catch up with people and whatnot, you know, my Airbnb and then obviously a, a direct connection to to my family. Mm-hmm. And I, I usually just show up. Like I don't tell anyone I'm coming. I just walk <laughs> in. I just like to see, you know, people's reactions to seeing you. I love that. Yeah, definitely, definitely beautiful. Um, so as I go through your bio and now with you working for JP Morgan Chase, you know, you have a, a, a significant background in advertising. And sometimes what I hear in the industry is people saying, I got out of advertising when they go to the brand side. What what are they exactly saying when they say I got out of advertising? I mean, you know, a- advertising is a hustle, right? And uh, I think like if you've spent any time at an ad agency, you know, there's always that, that, uh, you know, dark cloud of RFPs or, you Mm. know, (laughs) you know, just getting new business, you know, you're always trying to grow business and clients are happy, then they're unhappy. And, you know, that's a, a, a constant game that you play. And I think, you know, getting out of advertising and going brand side is just, uh, it's, it's the, trying to think of the best way to put this um it's just another reality and I, I think you know people tend to think of brand side as more stable um a little less heavy on the sort of you know workload um I don't necessarily think that's true but I I understand there there's a difference and depending on what type of person you are and you know honestly your hunger um you know there are there is less stress to some degree um, than a day-to-day job at an advertising agency. So I think, you know, some people look at going brand side, it's almost like, you know, being on an independent label or, you know, just being in a situation where you're constantly having to kill what you eat. Yeah. And it's a place where, you know, oh, I got a, I got a chef now, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I, I think that's the the mentality, but, you know, both of them have their challenges. I think one thing that, you know, people take for granted on the, on the advertising side is they think that clients only work on advertising where, you know, that's not the case. Advertising is just one piece of your pie, right? Like there's the, there's the actual marketing department. There's, 
you know, depending on where you work, there's sales, there's, you know, all of these internal organizations and departments that you also have to have relationships with and manage um, besides just, you know, working on the advertising. I love that. You know, I think um, anybody that has worked with you or that you continue to work with, I'm going to say this respectfully, because I know you're so humble, probably not to say it, that they'll be very foolish not to listen to you in a room because you definitely know what you're talking about, especially the amount of work that you have worked on. And to that point, what have you found to be the greatest solution for making bad work better? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't think you can make bad work better. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's no, once it's done, it's done. I mean, honestly, I feel like if that's the approach, if, if, if the work is bad, it's just bad. Um, just bad. <laughs> you know, See, I, I, that's what I say. He's very honest people. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we've all been there, you know what I mean? I think like the, the goal should be, um, to learn from, from that work, right? Like how do we make, how do we take lessons from, the the bad or the mediocre or the ineffective work and make sure that what we do the next time is not the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a great way to look at that. As I go through the work that you have done for Nike and so many of the other brands, um, the work has been very, very strong. And I think that there's a through line. Um, now you mentioned you started off as an account person, but you've been involved in a lot of creative projects, correct? And then I think to that standpoint, you're you're also a photographer, but how would you describe your aesthetic uh, from a creative standpoint? Um, I, I think for me, um, you know, I was probably, and I'm not saying this to like toot my own horn, but I, I was definitely one of the early versions of, you know, I think I was a hybrid before there you go. People, yeah. people called it, you know, a hybrid, right? Because, right, like I was a photographer. So, and I, I think anybody, anyone from a creative standpoint that's worked with me will will back this up. But like, I was the account guy that the creatives let in the room, you know, mm -hmm. or the work was done because they trusted me. They trusted that I would fight for the work. But, you know, because I had a camera, they also thought I was a bit creative. Um, so that's, that's something that I've always, um, you know, been really proud of. I think um, my aesthetic, if I had one, would just be more about um, I, I would, I would almost go the route of documentary versus, you know, scripted, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I like capturing the real versus, um, having to, to write a script. Um, so that's something that I've, I think the, the, the stronger work that I've done has always been, been that, that approach. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to seeing more of the work that you're working on. What's up? What's coming up? Or are there any things that are pretty much um, on your radar that you're working on this year? Um, can't talk about any of it, but I, I have <laughs> some really, I have some really exciting oh, stuff. Oh, I'm trying to get an exclusive on the podcast, man. Well, we, uh, we're carrying up our 100th episode. Give me something good. I'll give you something good. Um, so from a personal perspective, Please mentioned you mentioned African Chop House and um not sure when this comes out but we are working with the the new me I'm sorry we are working with the uh the Brooklyn Museum to launch the uh next exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum oh wow called congratulations uh called African Fashion um I'm super excited about it 
uh, obviously, you know, being from where I'm from, and again, what we talked about just in terms of the evolution of African culture, being in a position where I'm a lifelong Brooklynite, like since I moved here from Jersey, I've I've embraced the borough and being able to even have a small part of celebrating African culture at, you know, an art institution in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, super excited about that. Nice. So I think they, the exhibition launches on June. 21st oh yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah we'll be there <laughs> yeah the exhibition launches on june 21st uh, so definitely go check out the the brooklyn museum for sure we'll be there so listen before you get out of here i feel like so much of our foundation and you know in terms of what has led people to where they are at now is based on the foundation that they built but if you were going to rebuild your foundation for the next five to ten years and i gave you three building blocks what one word would you put on each one of those building blocks to build your next foundation? Uh, I think I've already answered that. I would do passion, patience, and peace. Um, those for me, those are my my building blocks um, because, like I said, it those three words helped me get out of a a dark time, and they're also what I think about in terms of evaluating what I'm doing or what I'm working on in the future. Um, I think also continuing you know, the content of mentorship, right? So I've had the blessing of being able to, you know, mentor some some superstars, right? When I think about it, it almost feels, you know, it almost feels unbelievable that like a lot, a lot of the guys that I've had the opportunity to work with, um, you know, they're teaching me now, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the JPs of the world, I'm sure you guys, you probably, you know, John Petty, as yeah, you mentioned, yeah. You know, I love to see the work and evolution that Craig Mitchell has come by, you know, Joel Rodriguez, you know, like the, 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 it just doesn't stop. There's so many guys that like, you know, I look back at my time at Nike and, you know, there were so many different things I wanted to do that, you know, I may not have been able to do all of them. And then I look at guys like Arenze, you know, and he killed it at Nike. He's at Instagram killing it. You know what I mean? So you know, Paul Beckles, you know, someone I worked with, um, you know, I had the pleasure of working with, you know, Paul, Craig, JP, Jared, um, when I was at Translation and, you know, Paul's killing it at Nike now. So it's it's great to see, you know, individuals that you've had the chance to sort of see grow in positions where they are the thought leaders in the room. I love that. And then finally, selfish question for me, what should I order the first time I come to African Chop House? <laughs> um, just a point of differentiation, right? So African Chop House is a pop-up experience that, um, ah. that Taranga is yeah. the restaurant. So when you, come, okay. when you come to Taranga, um, I would say, you know, me personally, I, I like to create my own bowl. So, you know, Suya, Jollof, okay. You know, our grilled chicken is amazing. Um, you know, a little bit of shito to keep it, keep it Ghanaian. Right. Um, so we also make fresh juices. Um, yes. and people love people love our our bisap. Um, so I would go there. Okay. Um, our ginger juice. Nice, awesome. Listen, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate diving through this. It's a celebration. I've always been um an admirer and a fan from afar of all the work. Uh, that you've done. Are there any final words that you'd like to leave our listeners? Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I'll repeat the importance of finding your three words, minor passion, patience, and peace. Mm -hmm. Identify what those three words mean for you, I think is, is a key in all of our lives. Um, also, I think the importance of mentorship can't be, you know, can't be under underestimated. You know, um, JP is famous of, of saying, you know, get on, put on. Um, mm -hmm. And a collection of collection of us um, who you might hear from time to time referred to as YOB, you know, we really, you know, have been committed to making sure that, you know, in any way we can, we're looking to help each other, but we're also looking for that next generation of creatives and individuals that are in marketing and advertising and looking for opportunities to get them put on. A lot of us came from backgrounds where we didn't have that that roadmap. You know what I mean? I grew up in Plainfield, New Jersey. Nobody told me how to get a job at Nike. No one told me how to get into advertising. And the one, you know, internship program that was offered didn't let me in. So I had uh -oh, to. Oh, you want to call it out? What? What? Which one is it? Inroads. <laughs> oh, oh God. Oh, hey, that's hey, that's that's the that's the birth of Tiffany R. Warren. So you know they they did, but yeah, <laughs> that's where she started. <laughs> they, they let me slip through though. They let oh, me slip. But look, you know, it was it was a it was a blessing in disguise. And to your point, yeah. right? You talk about how I move and you know, silent killer and all that. I you know I learned all that because I wasn't given that roadmap. I had to do things on my own. I had to you know go from being a shy African kid to you know, figuring out how to move in, in rooms of people that were comfortable, um, you know, in, in those rooms. And, you know, I didn't want to be the only one in those rooms. So I always made sure that I, I pulled in, you know, others after me. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, you continue to do that. Um, we appreciate you. And I feel horrible because, you know, I've been actually in New York the last four weeks, so I'll do a better job at hitting you up. Wait, you're in New York right now, dog? No, I'm not now. No, I was in New York the last four weeks, but it moves so fast, you know. So a lot of people don't even know this, but like, you know, I was born in Queens, uh, Jamaica Avenue. And then we also, so I was, we lived there for seven years, but then we moved to Irvington, New Jersey. So whenever I get to New York um, or Jersey, I'm I'm pretty much in and out. Um, now, I'm, look, I'm the same way when I go back to Jersey. You know, I go see my mom and then I bounce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I do want to stay a little bit longer. But to your point, right? Like it's, you know, like moving and shaking, moving and shaking. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But I definitely, I'm long overdue to see you in person. Um, I've always loved our conversations and um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It truly means a lot. So I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Now I can go back to, you know, the Jason whites of the world and the Jabari Hearns and, and say, look, I'm I'm here too. No, no, no. <laughs> oh man, listen, it's it's all, as you mentioned, you know, we're all into in this together. And I mean, so much of the reason why I started the podcast is just for the simple fact of like the makeup of everything that people do. I mean, I know I bring up like your photography and you, it, it is funny because I'm pretty sure that through your bio, there are so many different ways that people are going to say the introduction of who you are and how they met you. But um, I know that that was, you know, our first introduction and it's nice to see 
from photography to advertising to marketing, brand marketing, account management, um, it, it kind of throws away this this uh, idea that you cannot, you know, explore multiple things within the industry. So um, huge congrats to you and thank you. No, I appreciate it, man. And, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Like one of my good friends and uh, brothers, Dan Cherry, you know, he, he's been saying for a long time, experience over theory. And that's something I've always taken to heart. And, you know, I'm the kind of guy that, you know, don't talk it if you don't live it. You know what I mean? So a lot of that has given me direction in terms of the job choices I've chosen as well. If I'm talking about it, it nine times out of 10 means I've gone through it. Or I, I can speak about it with some level of expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you to our guests for joining. And as always, drink a ton of water and remember that you deserve a dose of Black joy and caffeine. I'm Adu. Until next time.